I want to talk to you guys about something this week. Welcome, welcome to the show, by the way. So, Republican politicians have disappointed me lately. Senate Bill 475, Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, was passed through the Senate and the House with unanimous Republican support. I don't have a problem with Juneteenth. I have a problem with Juneteenth National Independence Day. We have a National Independence Day. That's July 4th. Americans united in the United States of America have an Independence Day, which is July 4th. You know what this day could have been? It'd be National Emancipation Day. It's the day the uh, the slaves were freed. The Emancipation uh, Declaration was written. There are many different things it could have been besides National Independence Day. So uh, Representative Andy Biggs um, was one of the 14 Republicans who voted against it, so I want to play his reasoning why. Hi, Andy Biggs here from Arizona's 5th Congressional District. We're about to go vote on a bill that makes Juneteenth a federal national holiday. The Democrats have labeled it Juneteenth National Independence Day. And what it is really is the uh, it's Emancipation Day. Uh, they could have made this a really um, harmonious, celebratory uh, bill because I think everybody would have passed this thing out unanimously if they would have taken it through committee and they would have changed the name to Juneteenth National Emancipation Day because that's what it celebrates, the emancipation of the slaves. But... Um, they've weaponized this bill like like they weaponize everything else. They want to divide, and that's just a shame because I support the celebration of Juneteenth. I think that is critical. It's an important part of our nation's history. And if they would have named this correctly, and uh, if they would have included Republicans, if they would have said, let's join together to celebrate the Emancipation uh, Proclamation and the starting of the end of this dark time in our history. I think they would have had this great opportunity to unify Congress and maybe send a signal to America that we can unify in a time of stark divisions. But instead, they weaponized the bill, and I'll be voting no. And I completely agree with Representative Andy Biggs, but not many Republicans did. Like I said, 14 Republicans voted against this bill. And I want to find the name of those Republicans. Let me let me find the House bill really quickly here. I don't have it pulled up because I wasn't going to do this originally. But after hearing that, I decided that I do want to bring up who voted on it, um, how it was supported by Congress, and how it was supported by Republicans and not uh, supported by Republicans. So 14 Republicans voted against it. Mike Rogers of Alabama's third Mo Brooks of Alabama's fifth, um, Paul Gosar of Arizona's fourth, Andy Biggs of Arizona's fifth, uh, California's first, Doug LaMalfa, Tom McClintock, Andrew Clyde, Thomas Massey, Matthew Rosendale, Ralph Norman, uh, Scott DeGerlis, Ronnie Jackson, Chip Roy, and Thomas Tiffany. 
These Republicans represent the majority of Republican voters. These Republicans understand that we have an Independence Day in America, and that is July 4th. These Republicans understand that had it been National Emancipation Day, had it been a unifying day, it could have been a unifying vote. But instead, the Democrats decided to run a partisan bill trying to trample on July 4th and act like July 4th is a day that doesn't even exist in our history, where the United States of America, can, uh, United States of America every American can celebrate their freedom. That is July 4th. White, black, whoever you are, um, if you're Asian, Indian, Hispanic, whoever you are, you can celebrate July 4th as Americans, thanking our founding fathers for making us a free country, setting precedents that make us a free country. We could also have Juneteenth to celebrate the freedom of slaves by naming it National Emancipation Day, by naming it Juneteenth National Emancipation Day, rather than running through a partisan loophole, not a partisan loophole, but a partisan name of National Independence Day. America has an Independence Day, and it's July 4th. You'd think Democrats would know that, but apparently they don't. Another disappointing thing that Republicans have done, this is in the state of Ohio, where I am from. Members of the Ohio House expelled Representative Larry Householder, the federally indicted Republican ex-speaker Wednesday in a bipartisan vote that invoked their powers to remove a member for the first time in 150 years. Representative Larry Householder has not had his day in court. Representative Householder was re-elected unanimously by his constituents after these accusations came out. And he has not had his day in court. He has not had a chance to defend himself in a court of law against these baseless accusations. Yet Republicans, the majority of Republicans, I think there were 24 Republicans that voted against this bill. Maybe not even 24. I think it was 20 Republicans and one Democrat that voted against this this action to remove him from office. This was a completely, I don't know how I could say it was partisan, because it was Republicans who decided to do this to Representative Householder with no true no true reasoning. Has he had his day in court? What happened to innocent until proven guilty? What happened to that? Is that just not a thing anymore in 2021 America? Is that not a thing in the Ohio House? If you're a member of the Ohio House, do you not, no longer have innocent until proven guilty? Are you always guilty until proven innocent? Larry Householder should not have been expelled from Congress, from the Ohio Congress. He has not had his day in court. He even said himself, I have not, nor have I ever taken a bribe or solicited or been solicited for taking a bribe. This is disappointing. Republican politicians, Republican representatives have made me extremely disappointed to be a Republican these past few days. Trampling on July 4th, trampling on the rule of law and innocent until proven guilty. These are all things you can do as a Republican. 
This is making me want to stop being called GOP, Josh. Because if this is the 2021 GOP, the GOP that doesn't stand for the rule of law and innocent until proven guilty, the GOP that doesn't stand with July 4th and our true Independence Day, I don't know if I can continue on saying I'm a Republican. Because this is not the Republican Party that I know. This is not the Republican Party that people voted in. This is not the Republican Party that represents America. This is the Republican Party that represents their agenda and their and what powerful Republicans want done. Householders stood in their way. So they got rid of him. And Republicans, Republicans, and I'm putting that in air quotes, who don't support our National Independence Day and July 4th being our Independence Day and who wanted to one-up the culture war. Yeah, look at us, Democrats. We can vote with you. Yeah, did you see that, Democrats? We can unite behind something. Yeah, yeah, Democrats, you see that? We can unite with you over a bill that doesn't really change the majority of Americans' lives. Yeah, let, let's go. Yeah, Democrats, yeah. Uh, yeah, Democrats, I support you. Uh, we, we, can, we can do this together. Do this together being something that didn't need to be done. Doing this together being something that tramples on a day two weeks or three weeks from now, July 4th is extremely disappointing. Extremely disappointing. I'm extremely disappointed in the Republican Party federally and statewide in the state of Ohio right now. You're listening to the GOP Josh Show. We'll be right back right after this. Did you know that the GOP Josh Show is available wherever you get your podcasts? That includes Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as iHeartRadio and YouTube. Just search the GOP Josh Show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram, which is GOP Josh 20, and my Twitter is GOP Josh 20. Now, back to the show. So, in the New York mayoral debate, NYC's crowded field of Democrat mayor hopefuls squabble in their final debate. This is an article by the New York Post. So I'm covering this mayoral race because um, New York is a very progressive city, but moderates are actually starting to lead a little bit more. So I'd like to see where this goes, and that's why I'm covering this uh, one mayoral race. Um, New York City's crowded field of Democratic mayoral candidates made their final pitch to voters on Wednesday night during a debate that lacked substance and was repeatedly derailed by petty squabbles. Sounds like every Democratic debate ever. All eight City Hall hopefuls stepped on stage for the WNBC-TV event and was given equal time despite some candidates polling in the low single digits. Joining the top contenders were ex-City Group Executive Ray McGuire, former Federal Housing Director Sean Donovan, and nonprofit leader Diane Morals. <clears throat> the showdown, the last ahead of ranked choice voting primary on June 22nd, left little room for the leading candidates to interact and allowed the others to waste time on attacking each other. One phrasis emerged while McGuire and Morales were bickering over whether to slash funding from the NYPD. McGuire, a black banking exec, said that defund the police movement would end up in disaster for New Yorkers. Morales, who identifies as Afro-Latina, shot back, you don't speak for black and brown communities. It was one of the several quarrels that broke out during the Messy Two-Hour Matchup, which was co-hosted by Telemundo, 47 Politico Citizens Budget Commission, and New York Urban League. 
Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who holds in a solid 11-point lead in the primary, stayed above the fray as he was targeted by several other contenders. Tech entrepreneur Andrew Yang, who landed in second place after Adams in a recent poll, hit the former police captain for failing to snag the backing of the Captain's Endowment Association, the union that once represented him. The people who worked for him for years, who know him best, they just endorsed me, Yang snapped. Adams dismissed the attack, saying, I said a month ago I'm not taking any of the union's endorsements. This is pretty important. Now, obviously, Andrew Yang ran for president, didn't do very well in the primaries, but he grew a big following base nationwide. So seeing this, um, seeing him run for mayor of New York, it's a pretty big deal. Um, because if he does run for mayor of New York and he becomes mayor Yang, he could have better chances at running for president. I think he's talked about trying to implement a universal basic income for people who live in New York City. Um, I don't know if that's going to be able to happen. But I know he's talked about it in some of his speeches that he's giving because I've been following this race pretty closely, just not on the podcast. The Supreme Court on Thursday upheld Obamacare against the latest Republican challenge, preserving the landmark law and its key protections for millions of people with pre-existing health conditions, according to The Hill. The justices ruled 7-2, which includes uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh. The justices ruled 7-2 that the GOP challengers lacked standing to sue in a decision that marks the third major challenge to Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act to be rebuffed by the Supreme Court in roughly a decade. The case arose after 18 Republican states brought a legal challenge in 2018 aimed at striking down the ACA. Led by Texas, the GOP challengers focused on the Obamacare tax penalty meant to induce the purchase of health insurance by most Americans. They argued that former President Trump's 2017 tax cut would zero out the penalty and made the provision unconstitutional. Without the tax penalty, they argued Obamacare effectively lost its constitutional footing, requiring its invalidation by the court. But the justices did not even address those issues in their decisions. We did not reach the questions on the act. We did not reach these questions on the act's validity. Validity. Oh wow! I cannot speak today. Acts validity, however, for Texas and other plaintiffs in this suit lack the standing to necessarily to raise them. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote for the majority. Breyer was joined by uh, Kagan and Sotomayor, as well uh, as well as four of the court's more conservative members: Chief Justice John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Brent Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, Alito and Gorsuch, Gorsuch wrote in. I cannot pronounce anything today. I'm so sorry. Um, Alito and Gorsuch wrote in the dissent. The lower courts had largely sided with the Republican states, but agreed to delay enforcement of the ruling while appeals played out. Obamacare defenders, compromising a coalition of 20 blue states in the Democratic-led House, appealed to the Supreme Court. The Justice Department under Trump backed the GOP states in urging the justices to strike down the law, but the Biden administration reversed course. Obamacare is credited with expanding Medicaid for poorer Americans and making private health plans more affordable for lower-income families, even though, and this isn't in the article, even though that's not what it does. Unfortunate for the Supreme Court to back down from their conservative ideals, um, especially the conservatives who agreed um, with upholding, which includes, let's see here, Chief Justice John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. I remember when Republicans were fighting and fighting to get Barrett and uh, Kavanaugh nominated. And they can't even stand up for one conservative ideal, which is abolishing the ACA, even though they had an unconstitutional provision. Whatever. 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 To these justices who wouldn't be in there without Republicans fighting tooth and nail Having heart attacks trying to... I don't know if they actually had a heart attack, so don't take that literally. Having heart attacks trying to get them elected. 
not elected, but nominated and elected by senators to hold their position. I'm thinking of statewide elections right now. I'm sorry. But just disappointing. So North Korea is running out of food. Kim Jong-un warns that North Korea is running out of food as reports say a bunch of bananas now costs $45. Kim Jong-un has warned that North Korea is struggling to maintain food supplies, reports say, as everyday goods are skyrocketing. Speaking at a party meeting Tuesday, Kim said the food situation was, quote, now getting tense because of grain shortage grain shortages brought about by typhoons last year. The state-run Korean Central News Agency reported Wednesday, according to Rutgers. Experts have warned over the past month that food was running short in North Korea. The Seoul, South Korea's base outlet in NK News, reported that price spikes have been seen in uh, Yongyang, the nation's capital, which a kilogram of bananas now costing $45. One kilogram or 2.2 pounds is the weight of the approximately seven bananas, meaning each banana most likely costs just over $6.40. Some North Korean farmers were asked to contribute two liters of their urine each day to help produce fertilizer. Wow. Um... Radio Free Asia reported last month, it is rare for Kim to acknowledge food shortages, the BBC and the New York Times reported, and though such shortages are concerning, experts don't believe they will lead to a countrywide famine, the Washington Post reported. Earlier this month, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce that guy's uh, name because I don't want to like offend him or something, the UN special reporter on human rights in North Korea told the UN Security Council that it should consider lifting sanctions on the country. Records reported... Um, his name again said that COVID-19 pandemic had caused North Korea drastic economic hardship and that the North Korean trade with China fell 90% in March and April. Obviously, the people in North Korea didn't ask to be held in these situations, um, so I am praying for them to help make sure that they can stay healthy and live. But I believe that the North Korea should be doing more as leaders to help, well, frankly, lead their country. And they are doing that right now. So President Trump is coming to my old stopping grounds in Ohio, not actually where I'm from, but coming to Ohio. I really hope I can go. I probably won't be able to go. But he's coming to Ohio for his first pro post-presidential rally. This is the WHIO article, WHIO 7 Springfield, I think. Dayton, maybe. Former President Donald Trump has announced his first post-presidential rally, and it is in Ohio. Trump will deliver remarks at the Lorraine County Fair in Wellington. A rally is scheduled for June 26th at 7 p.m. Doors will open at 2 p.m. And I realize now that it was not an article. It was a summary. That's it. Okay. He's coming to Ohio for his first post-presidential rally. So... Yeah, um, President Trump is coming. I'm so happy for Ohioans who haven't had the chance to hear him speak, who are excited to hear him speak, hear the rightful president of the United States speak. Very excited for that, to him to come to Ohio. This is a great state. I love this state. And as I say the rightful president, I see... Um, Donald Trump says, if I can pull this article up, we didn't win in 2020, but let's see what happens. That's what he said. So we're going to see. I'm trying to pull up this article. I'm just trying to find it. Newsweek is asking me to sign up for an account. I'm not signing up for an account with Newsweek. Donald Trump says we didn't win in 2020, but let's see what happens. Donald Trump admitted his 2020 presidential election defeat during an interview with Sean Hannity on Wednesday, telling the Fox News host we didn't win. The former president conducted a wide-ranging interview with Hannity and conceded to having lost to President Joe Biden, despite have long contested the results. We were supposed to win easily, 64 million votes, Trump said in the interview. We got 75 million votes and we didn't win, but let's see what happens on that. 
So that article definitely twisted what he said. That article most definitely twisted what he said. They said, oh, he said that we didn't win because he's not saying that we didn't win based on votes and based on the Electoral College. He's saying that we didn't. We didn't get he didn't get put back in office. He didn't get sworn back in. Not saying that we didn't win. He's just saying that we didn't get sworn back in. Come seven months after calls declared Biden the winner of the presidential election back in November. The former president has repeatedly contested the results, making unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud. There is no evidence of irregularities on a scale that would have changed the election outcome. Okay. So I'm guessing, now that he said that, everyone's going to shut up about August. Not to be offensive to anyone, um... But we need to shut up about August. Republicans need to shut up. Conservatives need to shut up about Trump being reinstated in office by August because it's not going to happen. Mike Lindell needs to shut up about saying that 9-0 – I've been watching his website, frankspeech.com. He needs to shut up saying that 9-0 – all nine Supreme Court justices are going to side with him in this electoral fraud case and Trump's going to be reinstated by August. That's just not going to happen. Mike Lindell, I love your pillows. This is the message to Mike Lindell. I hope you're listening to this. Mike Lindell. I love your pillows. I love them. The best pillow I've ever slept on. I have one on my bed right now. I have your sheets on my bed right now. I use your towels. Shut up about the election. Shut up about the fraud. Shut up about everything to do with this election because, frankly, it's not getting anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere. Because this isn't going to be taken to the Supreme Court. This isn't going to be taken to any real court, I don't believe. Because this isn't practical. President Trump getting reinstated isn't practical. Sorry to disappoint. But I don't think it's going to happen. If it does happen, I'm going to eat these words so hard. I'm going to eat it so hard. I'm going to eat it like it's like, I don't know, something I don't like, like beans or something. I don't like beans. You know, I don't like beans. Because President Trump is not going to get reinstated into office. So I know this episode was a little shorter than usual. I'm just trying to get back into it. Uh, get back into the podcast, get back into the radio show, everything like that. You can list, uh, make sure you check out my website. I've been trying to change it up a little bit there, make it more user-friendly on gopjosh.com. That is gopjosh.com. Follow me on Twitter, gopjosh20. Follow me on Instagram, gopjosh20. Follow me on TikTok. Uh, that is just at gopjosh. I'm doing pretty well on there besides getting community guidelines violations and shadow banned out of my mind. I've tried posting a video three times um, and three times. No success anyway. Um, I have I posted a video three hours ago and it has three views and I have 3,000 followers. So TikTok's definitely messing with me there. I got a video taken down recently for um, a community guidelines violation. I appealed it. They have not uh, viewed my appeal, appeal yet. So we'll see what happens there. I may move away from TikTok. TikTok is where I'm reaching the majority of my followers right now. I have the majority of my followers are on TikTok. But if I'm not going to be able to promote my content, I'm not going to be able to reach my audience. What's the purpose of having an account on there anyway? 
So thank you for listening to today's episode of the GOP Josh Show, gopjosh.com. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Follow me on Twitter. That's where I post all my updates as well as all of my quick thoughts that I want to publish. And I this this podcast, because I have a website, because I have a homepage to go if it gets deplatformed, I'm a lot more vocal on this podcast than I am on Twitter. I say a lot more on this podcast that I most definitely should not say than I do on Twitter because on Twitter I can be deplatformed, lose everything. This podcast, I can just start uploading the episodes to my personal website and we're fine. We're no longer deplatformed, we're fine. I don't have an alternative to Twitter on my website yet. So I'm way more vocal on here, on this podcast right now. I didn't say anything about Larry Householder on Twitter but I, I went off here. I hardly said anything about Juneteenth on my Twitter, but I went off here. So make sure that you listen to this episode every week because you're going to hear things on here that you don't hear on Twitter, which the majority of podcasts um, with personal um, accounts, with Twitter accounts, aren't like that. Usually whatever they put on Twitter is what they see on their podcast. They just mimic themselves pretty much all day whenever they have the show. My show is not like that. I say a lot more on here than I'm uh, I'm af- not afraid of saying because I don't I, – I'm not afraid. I just don't want to get platformed. So I say a lot more on here than I'm going to say on other platforms. So that is your ticket to see me be more angry is by listening to this podcast. Thank you guys for all the support lately. Um, and yeah, talk to you guys next week. Stay tuned, my friends. <laughs>